Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to Initiated Survivor, where we connect to our fiercest fuck community of survivors and badassery ensues. I'm Kelsey Harper. I'm a clinical psychologist and survivor, and I love to bring us together to share our stories as well as practical tips to recover and reclaim our lives. As a community, we have truly formidable power to change our world, so thank you so much for being here. Here, we discuss topics relevant to survivors of gender-based violence. Some of these discussions may be triggering and contain adult content. Please be mindful of your needs throughout. Welcome back to Initiated Survivor. I know it's been a little bit since I've launched some new content. I'm really excited to offer this new episode to you now. Gone through a bit of some transitions in life. As you can tell, my little pod office is a bit different right now. But I wanted to do another round of Ask a Psychologist Anything. I have a few specific questions that I think can be really, really helpful for us understanding how we can build more effective recovery moving forward, especially in light of things that are going on right now. Now, so I took these questions from the audience. I may have reshaped them in order to protect anonymity as well. And I'm going to be bringing these to you. So the first question, how do you process trauma-related grief? This is an excellent question. I think it's one that many people are surprised to hear as a part of trauma recovery is experiencing grief. So what is trauma-related grief? Trauma-related grief is that there are certain losses that we experience as a result of experiencing and surviving trauma. This can be losses of relationships, losses to body integrity, injuries that we've experienced, losses to certain abilities, you know, with trauma and coming up with trauma symptoms that interfere with us being able to engage in life. There's also other losses as well. There's kind of like moral injuries and losses around how we understood the world to be, you know, seeing a different side of the world as well as a new way of thinking and experiencing ourselves. For many survivors, there is a pretty significant loss of a sense of self and a change of our sense of self after something has happened. And grieving that loss is a very normal response to have to experiencing that kind of loss. Grief and trauma, particularly as a survivor, can look a number of different ways. This can look like a lot of sadness, a sense of remembering or recalling the way things used to be, or times when maybe you had that ability, you didn't have symptoms, that kind of thing. Certain relationships are still intact. And recalling that with sadness, maybe even sometimes with some anger, fantasizing about what life would be like if this didn't happen or if things were different. And that can be some of the signs that trauma-related grief is occurring. There's some really helpful skills for this because a lot of folks don't quite know how to navigate that part of the process because it can be very painful and uncomfortable. And it's also not something that we want to avoid or distract from. Processing grief is actually an integral part of trauma recovery. It's a way of reminding ourselves of our value and worth to ourselves, our connection to the world, the things that matter to us, and our values that we have for the world, for ourselves. So what we can do primarily is actually around expressing it, allowing ourselves 
to experience that grief and to express it and allow it to move through. So that can just be very basic mindfulness of emotions, connecting with the emotion, noticing that sadness move through you, allowing tears to come, allowing things to rise up and fall very naturally, sharing it with people that you love and you trust, talking about this with your therapist, discussing this with people you care about, that kind of thing. Some other more concrete ways that we can engage in trauma processing around grief and trauma-related grief processing is actually through expressive activities, creative activities, and art activities. You heard in a previous episode with Kate Burns talking about how she used poetry to be able to recover from her trauma as well as continue to express and move through her grief. And that through her poetry, she was actually able to get to a different side of things. And that was through writing her poetry. You know, people can write poetry, write stories, you can write memoir, journaling, as well as with painting, sculpting, playing music. All of these kinds of things actually do tap into a very powerful emotional part of ourselves that helps us express emotions and helps it move through ourselves without it getting stuck. It'll be really important that whatever you use to express your emotions, you're doing so effectively, safely, and also with a validating community. It may not be the most effective to join a class where people are not interested in hearing about trauma or you don't really necessarily know if they are going to be very validating of sexual trauma, that you might want to make sure that you are in a community where people are going to be sharing big things, that they're also taking care of themselves and their boundaries. You can take care of yourself and your boundaries and you're free to express with the safety of a facilitator in a community that is validating and ready to receive your story. This is also a great thing to share with your therapist. I personally love it when clients share with me their creative projects. It's just so amazing to see all the different things that my clients are bringing into the world and the things that they're creating and how their mind is processing what they're going through. It's absolutely beautiful and magnificent. So the next question, I set all of these goals and just never follow through. How do I get better on following through? This is something that many of my clients complain about. In fact, we actually see a lot of judgment that comes up, self-judgment around this, this belief that I'm lazy or I'm incapable or I just can never get things done or just can't seem to follow through on anything. I'm very short-winded when it comes to my motivation, that kind of thing. And while that can be true, there are definitely folks with neurodivergent processing that makes, you know, attention, concentration, and executive functioning very different and difficult sometimes on following through on goals. And that's going to be a very different way of managing things. We do that more from a perspective of how we manage sensory stimuli rather than how we are doing trauma recovery stuff. So that's the different topic. But when we're coming here with this, it's important to identify for ourselves that our difficulty around pursuing goals is not a personal failing, that those judgments and that shame is often coming from something like late stage capitalism telling us that productivity is to keep the ball rolling. And we have to keep the ball rolling no matter what we're going through at a steady pace and producing something that can be a contribution or can be purchased or can be used for resources in some way. When in actuality, life can be a lot of ebbs and flows with regards to feeling productive and motivated, feeling restful, feeling like it's more time to connect with community, with relationships, with chosen family, and times when it's important to seek solitude, times when there's lots of energy to express and expend, and times when there's times for a lot of rest. As we are moving through this with regards to trauma recovery, it's also being mindful that hypervigilance, which is 
kind of is similar to like sensory overload, but it's more that we are attending to all of our senses and to everything that our senses are bringing in is going to be exhausting. And we are going to have experiences of intense fatigue and exhaustion and as well as just overwhelm around pursuing things that are important to us or that are new and novel because that's going to activate some more of that hypervigilance. So some of the things that we talk about are about how we balance between this pushing for change and growth and mindfulness and intending to vulnerabilities or personal needs, self-care needs kind of thing. And what that means is we first approach it non-judgmental stance. We are not judging ourselves for needing rest, for feeling overwhelmed, for stopping and starting and stopping again. We are approaching it with almost more of a curious mind of just noticing that this has happened, noticing that our energy has slowed down, noticing where that energy has slowed down. Is it more of a body fatigue? Is it more emotional do I notice like my mind is just kind of going blank and my thoughts aren't able to focus? Or is it that my thoughts are really focusing on all of this? I just can't get my body engaged. It just is so tired. Or sometimes it's emotional, like my heart just can't take it, especially right now with everything that's going on. And so we want to be mindful of this. This is something that we call in trauma recovery world, the window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is just a way of describing how much we can tolerate in any given moment around emotional activation. So how much can we get emotionally activated and engaged in something without getting flooded or overwhelmed and also without dissociating? And that window, however much that is, that activation that we can tolerate is going to change day to day, moment to moment, depending upon the things going on in our lives and what we're experiencing. If we haven't gotten much sleep lately, if we've been doing a lot of challenging things, if there's a lot of stress at home, that window is going to be really small. That sense that pretty much any challenge or emotional activation can just tip us right over the edge and we will get overwhelmed. But on days when maybe we're feeling more well rested, stressors are a little bit lower, when we're feeling that sense of expansion, we might have a really big window of tolerance and then we can get a lot of stuff done. We can challenge ourselves. We can think in new creative and innovative ways. And somehow we are emotionally more managing what is coming at us. So how we take this into perspective here is that we use the window of tolerance to help us understand when is it time for me to push for change and growth? And when is it time for me to slow down and rest and recover? And so what that looks like is the pushing for change and growth. We have this wide window of tolerance. We're feeling that we have a lot of emotional resources. We may still feel nervous or anxious. We may still feel somewhat hesitant, especially if what we're trying to take on is a big challenge or something that is a big growth step, but we don't necessarily feel overwhelmed or shut down. We notice that there is a way we're noticing our mind is, is putting pieces together and steps together on how to carry out this task. Then we would say that what we do during that time is we practice skills of opposite action, but that we take action, we join communities, we get outside, even when we're feeling like not doing anything. That's a sign of something like avoidance happening. The other thing is, is that sometimes avoidance is also indicating that maybe 
those steps, we have room for taking steps, but we're taking too big of steps and we need to cut them into smaller pieces. So sometimes it's also good to look at what is it that I'm wanting to do? And is there a way that I can actually make it even smaller, something that feels easily manageable right now? And whatever's easily manageable is they're just a smidge more that I can do. And that's when we're in a challenge place. Now with vulnerability management, this is when the window of tolerance is small. We're starting to feel really fatigued. We're really emotionally exhausted and spent. There's just not a lot of room for challenging. A lot of times people will guilt and shame themselves for being in that place, for not being able to push themselves forward or that they should just continue white knuckling through all of the stress and the strain, regardless of what's going on. That's capitalism for you. But that's not actually how we're supposed to work. And it's just not how we're built. During these periods of time, it's actually really important for us to do things that give us rest and spaciousness. Rest can be concrete things like sleep, like hanging out at home, cuddling up under a blanket, like lots of literal physical rest. Rest can also be about doing things that are nourishing or nurturing to your emotions, to your soul, to your mind, to your heart that aren't necessarily about challenging yourself. So this could be things like spending time with friends that feel really easy to connect with, sharing things with them that are easy to share, talking about things that are easy to talk about, connecting with chosen family, you know, going on things and doing things like hikes or outdoorsy stuff or even just a picnic that feel really good. That the idea is not to challenge yourself, not to challenge your body, to actually do it in a way that feels restful. So it could be going on a hike, but strolling instead of like really pushing. It could be actually deciding instead of a hike, I do want to be outdoors. So I'm going to just find a nice place to sit for a little bit. Oftentimes, vulnerability management is also going to be about how we are being mindful and present in the present moment. So for example, if we're getting rest or we're trying to get rest, we're trying to connect with some friends, we're doing something that feels really good and peaceful and we're enjoying some good time together, but our mind is focusing on what our to-do list has or what are the next steps. As soon as I'm rested, here's what I have to do. We're not actually going to feel rested because our mind is not there. Our mind is not taking in all of the benefit of that rest. And so we also practice mindfulness skills of being totally grounded in the present moment. So it's usually helpful that whatever restful activities we're doing or nourishing activities we're doing, they're ones that are very, very enriched with sensory soothing. So this can be things like if you're watching a movie that you're watching a feel-good movie or a movie that's something you really, really love to watch, that you're eating food that is really gentle, easy, tasty, that kind of thing, doesn't feel like a challenge or triggering any stuff related to food, that your relationships are the ones that aren't necessarily high conflict and are there and incredibly supportive. But also things and activities that are really easy to attend to and to focus on this idea that you're redirecting your attention back to that restful activity each time. Now, what's important is we don't want our restfulness to become a new avoidance. The idea is, is that as we're resting, we're building up resources, whether that's emotional resources, energy resources, resources for inspiration, all of that kind of stuff to be able to mobilize and motivate next. And so there is going to come a time when we start to feel that window of tolerance widening, some energy flowing through us that feels like it's really helpful and really mobilizing and motivating. And then it's time to actually go to the other side and push for change. And we start to look at what are the steps that I need to take? 
Are there smaller steps that I need to take? What is going to give me a sense of accomplishment today towards that goal? And we do that also with a lot of radical acceptance that we may only take one step before we kind of go back into that rest mode. And that's totally okay. Oftentimes we wax and wane between the two every day, every week, throughout the month, all kinds of things. The key to being able to achieve your goals is to do so without self-judgment, the big one. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment to announce this exciting offering. I'm going to be creating and launching a trauma skills group virtually in 2024. Really excited about this. As you know, in the show, I've talked about different skills that can help us with recovering from crisis, with calming down panic attacks, with communicating to people, with staying active and engaged in our values, how to build relationships. And now I'm bringing those skills directly to you in this group format. So it's nice and accessible and you get some hands-on experience practicing these skills in real time. This is going to be 12 one-hour sessions where we meet virtually in a small group and I'm going to be training you on the different skills that you use, how they can be applied and giving you things to practice as well as materials to reference about all of these different skills. Many participants in the past have told me that they really felt they benefited from learning more about trauma, how trauma works in the body, as well as building confidence in themselves and learning how to connect more to their values and what they feel is important in life. So here's an opportunity for us to do this more. Recently, I registered to be able to provide virtual therapy to 40 states in the United States. So this group is going to be accessible all across the United States, which I'm very excited about. I am going to be capping the size of the group to keep it small so that we can be a close community of trauma survivors and build effective relationships in there and so that people feel safe and secure. If you do sign up later, I'll have a wait list for the next time that I'm running the group. Signups are going to start January 1st, and from January 1st to January 31st is early bird signups where the whole session, the whole 12-week session, is going to cost $1,080. That turns out to be about $90 per session. After that, starting February 1st, it's going to go up to its full price of $1,200 for all of the sessions. And so it would definitely benefit you to sign up early as soon as possible. If you would like to get more information about this, you can go to my website at www drkelseyharper.com, drkelseyharper.com slash group, or you can join my mailing list where you will get the link to enroll as soon as it opens up and can sign up right there. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get started with you all. Okay, so the next one, there's so much trauma happening in the world. I want to get involved, but I get triggered and end up isolating anyways. What can I do? So this is very understandable as things continue to escalate, violence gets worse and worse in our world. And we're seeing more and more of these oppressive systems becoming more volatile and more blatant with the violence that they're perpetrating. And as survivors, naturally, we want to get involved to dismantle those systems to bring an end to any and all kind of injustice and violence. And this can be really, really challenging also having vulnerabilities around trauma. We can experience things like vicarious trauma and activation of our trauma by being closely connected or hearing about witnessing events that are life-threatening 
and harmful to other people. So it's important to be mindful of that. What I think is really key here is because oftentimes people talk about like, take a break, don't expose yourself, you know, you need to get rest, you can't pay attention to all these things. And that can feel really like bypassing. It doesn't feel really good to us to just disengage and disconnect, but also connecting and getting flooded with traumatic material also isn't helpful to us. We need to be able to process and integrate it. So there's a balance that we do here. One is, is to make sure that you are connecting with resources that you trust for information, for the news about what's going on. Sources that you trust, sources that you value your connection with, sources that also provide you actionable information that you're not just doom scrolling through a bunch of horrific photos or stories and then getting fatigued and burnt out or activated and shutting everything down. But information that actually becomes actionable for you. The other piece is we don't want to just go between bearing witness and shutting down, bearing witness and shutting down. We want to be informed and bear witness. And then we also want to take action. And the taking action piece is the part where we can provide a lot more structure for ourselves around how to approach these things. I am going to record a whole episode on activism for survivors, specifically how we can engage in activism in a way that is nurturing nurturing to us and to our recovery, as well as actively working towards dismantling those systems and making a difference in our world. One of the key things, especially when there is so much going on in the world, is to choose one, maybe two things, whether it's two organizations, two topics, two forms of activism or of engagement, or just one, for many folks, it's just one that you can consistently engage in. One of the issues with a lot of activism and change movements is that people get burnt out and then they fall apart and we don't really pursue it to the end. And that's oftentimes because our attention is just like going to all of the different things that we care about and that are important. And so if we can focus on one or two things, preferably just one thing that we can do and that we can consistently do and consistently and persistently do, continue to follow through on not just days, weeks, and months, but years and years that we can consistently do, that will help us be able to really pursue that change. Because as soon as we start to see some of those things change, those relationships that we build, the communities that we connect with, we're going to feel a lot more powerful in our positions. And we also get to then evolve with that as well. It's one of the things that's really important and valuable about what we're seeing right now is how much evolution has taken socially to be in the position that we are are right now and how we're responding to what's going on, which is wonderful. It's showing that activism does actually work and that people are actually engaged, which is powerful. Be mindful of your needs, take care of your needs, connect to community. Those are absolutely important. Next question, why do you talk about politics when you talk about trauma and mental health? This one often comes up as either genuine interest, like why are the two coming together? And sometimes because people are in that bypassing space of that they want to get their mental health, they want to get their therapy, they don't want to have to deal with social issues. Totally understandable because it is really overwhelming. There's so much going on. However, in my perspective, the traditional trauma recovery as we've been sold through kind of like that white supremacy capitalist colonizing lens is actually that we're supposed to get to a place where we're symptom free, where we're no longer distressed, we're not dissociating, we're not having flashbacks, we're not getting 
hyperactive or hypervigilant in things, we're able to go back to life as we know it, go back to work, go back to our family as it is. And it just exists in the world as it is. And while that sounds okay, it actually doesn't because that means that we're treating our symptoms in order to return to a traumatic environment where trauma continues to happen and that the systems that are creating that trauma continue to gain power and to enact that trauma and that violence on people more and more. So in my perspective, trauma recovery is actually not about let's just treat the symptoms so people can go back to the world as it is, but actually let's treat symptoms so that people can connect more closely with who they are, liberated from the systems that are there, while also being able to be mindful and aware of the systems that are present so that we can strategically exist in them, survive them, and change them. So that's why politics gets mixed up with this. It's not actually politics. This is us talking about our world, our life, how trauma develops, and how it gets reinforced in our world. And that truly, if we are interested in trauma recovery, we are changing and dismantling these systems. That is all of the systems, not just one, not just two all of the systems. All right. So the final question, I'm laughing because it's kind of a big question. I think I'm going to do a whole episode on this at some point because it's something that comes up quite a lot. Does my therapist actually care? And oftentimes this comes with comments of like, is my therapist just somebody I'm paying to listen to me or that I'm paying to give me advice? You know, I'm paying to be my friend. And the answer is no. No, actually what you're paying for is for all of the graduate school education training that I've gone through and that I've experienced to make it so that when I am present in this room, that I actually have a wealth of knowledge and skills and training to offer you for your goals. The thing that you're also paying for is for me to be mindful of and effective within the ethics and the limits and the laws that I am being very deliberate and mindful with how I'm offering treatment and therapy, that it's something that is going to work it's not going to do harm and that we're moving forward towards your goals effectively as we understand it. The caring part, the relationship part, that's me. As a therapist, I show up as a human and I am a human in that room or on that screen as I do therapy virtually. And I have a human heart. And so I do care very much for my clients that when I'm taking on a client, it's not just an hour that's spent either giving advice or listening, even if it's well-educated advice or well-educated listening, that it's actually about me being totally present with this person and holding space for this person to share with me things that are causing them a lot of suffering and pain, things that they want to see change, things that they want to celebrate, or things that are incredibly personal. And I care very much for my clients. And it's from that care that also comes my value around integrity, that because I care about my clients so, so much, I want to make sure that I'm providing them with exceptional care, whether that's from me or actually from somebody else, that they're getting care that is helpful to them. So part of this, I think I've seen some memes like floating around about therapists considering their clients outside of session. That's absolutely true. I'll see things that I think my client would like or that reminds me of my client and it can make me smile. It can make me sad for them. It can make me carry some of that pain with them. And that's something I'm actually willing to do that I'm really signing up for. A part of being attentive in this relationship is that I'm here for 
all of the relationship. So also don't worry about burdening your therapist with pain, with trauma, that kind of thing. That's something that we're here to hold and we we know we're here to hold it and we want to hold it for you. I also am doing things outside of session like consulting, learning about new things, going to new trainings to make sure that I'm learning things that are helpful to my clients, not just in general, but oftentimes very specifically for my clients. They bring up something or I notice something is going on that they need help with and I'm going to study it and I'm going to consult with people. I'm going to go to a training. I'm going to make sure that I have those skills to offer them. I do care very, very, very much for my clients. So this is bringing us to the end of this installment of Ask a Psychologist Anything. I hope this was helpful for you. Please feel free to send me any questions that you'd like me to address in a future episode of Ask a Psychologist Anything. I wanted to talk a little bit more about skills. As you know that we talk about skills all the time in this show, I actually am going to be launching a skills training group for trauma recovery in 2024. At the time of this recording is December 2023. Signups are going to start January 1st for this skills group where I'm going to be providing a small group of people weekly sessions for about 12 weeks where we're going to talk concretely about skills that you can use to help nurture your trauma recovery, take care of yourself through trauma recovery, as well as connect to some of those really key personal values that are important to you so that you don't just recover into the world, but you actually come back to yourself and can really feel mobilized in how you re-engage in your community and connect with the world. So if you want to learn more about that trauma skills group, you can definitely go over to my website at drkelseyharper.com, drkelseyharper.com slash group. You can also join my mailing list so that you can get the sign up link as soon as it goes live, or you can check back around there in January so that you can get more information and sign up as soon as we're ready to launch. Thank you so much. And I hope that you have a pleasant end to your year. Thank you all for joining us in this episode and connecting with our badass community. Thank you to Sam Valentine and her awesome team at Fast Forward Productions for producing, editing, publishing, and all around making this podcast possible. If you found something in this episode that resonated with you, please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. This quick but meaningful action supports the show and helps make us more visible to other survivors and allies who might be looking for support and connection. I love connecting with listeners, survivors, and allies. So if you found something in this episode useful or interesting, please screenshot the episode and share it on your stories and tag me at Initiated Survivor. An important and final note, while I am a clinical psychologist, this episode and podcast is not a replacement for mental health care. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Neither the host nor the guests are rendering mental health or other professional advice. And this podcast does not constitute an established professional relationship. If you are looking for mental health care or professional help, please seek it out. We have some links in the show notes that may assist with this, or you can contact your insurance carrier for a referral.